fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about Christian fascists with my friend Caitlin. How are you, Caitlin? I'm excited to talk about fascists because I've been watching this new show that I gotta talk about because it's so good. I just finished the first season. Are they Christian fascists, though? They're Nazis. That'll do. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been watching Hunters. Right. That's the Jordan Jordan Peele. Oh, so good. Did you call him Peelies? Peely? I think it's just Peel. Peel? Just Peel. Jordan Peel? I guess like the way it's spelled, I can see why if you haven't heard his name said out loud, you you would say Peely. Peely, yeah. Yeah, but it's just Peel. Peel? Just Peel. Jordan Peel, yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> now you know. Now I do know. What's that like gif with the rainbow? The more you know. <laughs> I actually have no idea what you're talking about. So, <laughs> getting on with the show. If you feel kind, you can donate to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Imperial News. And then we can purchase recording equipment. Like two separate mics. So that when I edit it, we can edit out all the bangs and bumps. But in the meantime, the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. We're going to start with February 17th. This was Monday of last week. And Ezra is interviewing someone named Dr. Leslin Lewis. Do you know who Dr. Leslin Lewis is? Not at all. Neither did I. But she's apparently running for leadership of the Conservative Party. Oh, God. And she decided to give one of her only interviews to Rebel News. So that should already tell you what kind of person this is. Was she a doctor? A legal doctor? As far as I know, all she has is a... uh, a doctorate in law. She studied law. Lots of oh, law. Okay. But she likes to go by Dr. Leslie Lewis. Every like everything that I found like had that specifically. Okay. Dr. Leslie Lewis. So I figured I would be respectful and add that to her name. She is a relatively unknown figure in the sense that I could hardly find out anything about her specifically or any of her past cases. Granted, I didn't do as deep a dig as I probably could have, and I might want to do some digging in the future. But she does have law degrees from reputable law universities. Mm -hmm. And as far as I am aware, she has been a practicing lawyer on Bay Street in Toronto. At least that's what she sort of sells that she's been doing with her life since she got these legal degrees. She's also worked a lot with the Conservative Party. And the only reason I know that is because in 2015, she was a candidate for the Conservative Party. But she didn't really campaign, and the reason was she actually filled in for someone who left because of a scandal, and it was like a month out from when the election happened, Mm. and so her name was just put on the thing, and she got decimated, basically, because she was this, they, what is it called, like a parachute candidate, like she wasn't even from the riding, they just sort of like threw her in. Yeah. And for good reason, because this other candidate did something bad, I can't remember what it was, but Either way, so that's, she had some involvement. That was in 2015, which was when Trudeau first uh, won. And she lost to a liberal. So Ezra brings up that Lewis is, in fact, a black woman. 
And Ezra uses this to point out that she doesn't fit the demographic that the media party would like to associate with the conservatives. And this is, of course, again, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, the hypocrisy of conservatives that complain about identity politics. But as soon as a minority likes them, they constantly have to point out that the person has an identity and they'll exploit it. Now, I'm going to play a clip. And this is sort of the most concise version of Lewis explaining her values. And it's a bit platitudinous, but I think it's something that we should hear. So here it is. I first heard of your candidacy from Dr. Charles McVitie, who's a Christian conservative. He was very excited about uh, you running. Um, Can you describe where you stand on some of those issues? I know that for the media party, that's sort of a trap or a trick question. They're trying to do a gotcha. I, I hate that about uh, how the CBC or other media party journalists do it. But there are real questions about where you and anyone else would stand on them. How would you describe yourself on issues that, say, Dr. McVitie would care about? Well, I can't really speak for Dr. McVitie, but I could tell you that on my beliefs is that in a free and democratic society, whatever my beliefs are, I'm entitled to them. And I do not feel any shame about who I am and what my beliefs are. And I think that everybody's entitled to their own beliefs and that we could respectfully disagree on many issues. And that's what makes us such a great democracy. So what are your uh, core beliefs? Well, I believe in things like strong family values. I believe in fiscal conservatism. I believe that we could develop our natural resources while um, protecting the environment. I believe in a free economy. I believe that uh, we should have strong gun gun laws that um, don't target law-abiding gun owners but go after criminals. I believe in protecting our borders. I believe that we should have sustainable immigration and not immigration levels that burden our nation. Hmm. I love that little hmm at the end of that. All those values. All the values seem to be like... They remind me of something. (laughs) (laughs) They were kind of nondescript. And I, I found this, so she's only done one other interview, and we'll get to that in a second as well. But most of her answers always sort of like, like hint to something but don't go into any details so it's like this idea of like i believe in family values which is of course a dog whistle but she doesn't go into like what that means for her right or she's for like strong borders okay but what does that mean for you or like like you know what i mean like she doesn't get into any specifics they're all these like platitudinous sort of like hand gestures but they're all hand gestures in the direction of something usually in the direction of someone like ezra But that gets to the point. So Ezra brought up somebody named Charles McVitie or McVitie. And this like resulted in me. I think I sent you that meme of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. Because I actually used to watch Charles McVitie for because I'm someone who's always throughout my life listened to people that I can't stand and disagree with. (laughs) So when I was a kid, I used to stay up late at night and Charles McVitie had a show on the Crossroads Network, which was, so maybe, I don't know if this. I'm too young for this. I don't even know if it's too young. So Crossroads was a, basically a Christian channel that was on like most people's cable packages. Oh, see, that's why. And it would have 
I mean, like, you probably had it, but you never had the urge to go watch. Don't even Christian know what it is. Yeah. Show. I think they had, like, 100 Huntley Street, which is, like, another thing where, like, they... I don't know what that is. See, I would watch all these things. See, here's the thing. is like, I don't know how many people are going to know these things, but I would watch them for the mere, like, there's this other world out there with people with crazy beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? It was like, it's like going into an alien world, you know? And so Charles McFady, but his show was on always late at night. So it would always be like 12 midnight when I was like young teenager and watch this asshole on the TV just say tons of crazy shit. What it turned out was like later in life, I realized that he's, he's actually even worse than you think. So Charles McVady is one of the leaders of the Christian right in Canada. And Christian fascism is mostly considered an American phenomenon usually associated with people like the Jerry Falwells yeah. or uh, John Hagee or Tim LaHaye. I think the guy who wrote the Left Behind series about the rapture where everyone disappears. But it's a huge uh, movement that basically helped get George Bush elected. Yeah. That was when it like first gained its sort of momentum there. But he founded, Charles McVady is the Canadian version of this to a certain extent. And he founded the Canadian Christian College. He's had his own show, as I said, on Crossroads Television System, and it was called Word TV. Word is, you know, the Christian word. But he was censured off the television because of homophobic remarks that he made on the show. You know, it had something to do with the gay pride parades, and he basically called them sex parades. He said that uh, homosexuals were trying to, like, molest children at gay pride parades and stuff like this. And he said that on TV and uh, got censured for it. And eventually Crossroads TV basically had to tell him to go. So he was no longer on TV because of that. Now, this, of course, was back when we had better laws surrounding hate crimes and stuff like this with the um, human rights tribunals, which, again, you're going to see Ezra is going to sneak into this story with with this shit again, with his uh, human rights tribunal nonsense that he was doing. But here's just a list of a bunch of shit that Charles McVitie has been responsible for. So he campaigned for Stephen Harper and Doug Ford. He was integral in Ford's campaign to remove the sex ed curriculum. He bragged about being having a direct line to Stephen Harper. And Stephen Harper, he was considered like Stephen Harper's religious uh, person he would go to for religious stuff. I Advisor, I guess is the word I was looking for. He organized protests outside the uh, Royal Ontario Museum okay. uh, because they had an exhibit on Darwin, which, of course, Darwin is just secularism trying to corrupt society. He's against environmental activism because he believes it worships the earth and abad- abandons worshiping God. So it's like not even like a climate denial thing. It's just that, like, what are all these hippies worshiping the earth? <laughs> He has invited pagans. That's pa- yeah, she's fucking pagans. He has invited Islamophobic speakers to give lectures at his college, including Geert Wilders, who's uh, I forget which Scandinavian country he's from, but he believes a lot of bad stuff about mm-hmm. Islam. He led the campaign that ultimately failed to get Stephen Harper to overturn Bill C thirty eight which was the law that legalized same-sex marriage in Canada back in 2005. So that passed under a liberal government. And then once Harper got elected, he tried to motivate to get Harper to challenge it. And it ultimately failed for a bunch of reasons, largely because there was many conservative MPs that wanted to move on from the issue that were more secular. And I think because a few of them were actually gay as well. 
so I'm glad that that didn't succeed, but there was a push. And I think a lot of uh, conservative Christians got mad at Stephen Harper because of that, because two things they wanted out of Harper that he didn't touch on, which was the uh, gay issue, but then also the abortion issue. That Of course. But the thing is, I think he did do things to limit access and other things, but of course he wouldn't go far enough because he didn't just get rid of abortion altogether, right? Well, you can't do that. Yeah, well... They still want him to. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know that. Like how no, I know, works I know. in Canada is not... It's not I like mean, that. you can limit access and you can do other things. But sure, yeah, but yeah. you can't get rid of it. But they... Yeah, but here's... We're talking like about Christian fascists here. They want a total con- Christian authoritarian regime controlling this country. They have to argue that women are not human in order to get abortion. Yeah, I'm, I guarantee you women not being human is somewhere in their <laughs> belief system. <laughs> You're probably right. He supports Israel because he believes that Israel controls or Israel's control over Palestine will lead to Armageddon and the second coming of Christ, which is a lot of reasons that the far right uh, likes Israel. You don't know this? No, I've never heard this. So a lot of reasons you find that the far right evangelical Christian movement, uh, Christian fundamentalists in the United States and in Canada, like Israel and support Israel is because they have a reading an interpretation of the book of revelations that suggests that in order to get the uh, rapture and Armageddon and second coming of Christ, Jews need to control all of uh, the territory of, of Israel, basically. But why would they want that? Why would, because they want the second coming of Christ to happen. Why would you want the second coming of Christ? Because that's when you get to heaven and all like the fun stuff happens. No. What do you mean? No, no. Haven't you read the Bible, Caitlin? <laughs> yes, that's why I'm like, why would you want Armageddon? Because well, they're all believers. So the idea is like, they'll all be raptured. No, they won't. Well, I'm not saying that they have the right reading of the Bible. I'm just telling you what they believe. I mean, a lot so of people... So they want you... people to go to hell? Like they want people oh, to Oh yeah, suffer. well, they, I mean, this is like the weird sort of like, uh, what is it? Like a... Like, how do you just, like, that's what no, I but here's, so, so here's, like, the weird thing. They actually think that a lot of the Jews that they want to, like, control Israel are all going to go to hell after this is done. That's fucking horrible. So it's like, they don't that's support... That's like a plot of, like, it is. Evil... They don't support Israel because they support the Jews. Like, as you're telling me this, this reminds me of a lot of, like, childhood cartoons I've watched where the evildoers in the cartoons, like, plot to, like... They, they use their close allies to, like, plot for world domination kind of thing. Yep. It's it's really creepy. A lot of them, have you heard about the family? The family is another, this, that's a group in the States that believes similar things. And yeah, I've heard lots about the of, family, uh, yeah. Uh, lots of tendrils out in, in the government in the United States. So these people they did. They had a documentary groups. on Netflix about it. Yep. Yeah. I read the book uh, years ago. Uh, I was deep in all this stuff. There's another great book uh, related to a lot of these topics, which was uh, Christian Fascists by Chris Hedges is another good book. But yeah, this movement is is terrifying. And it's not as not as large in Canada as it is in the United States. It's more of a fringe movement, but they have made inroads over the last few years. And that should be cause of concern for everyone. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's all the facts that I have about this guy of, of bullshit things that he's done. He's done other terrible things, but this is my, like, laundry list of things that just to just to exhibit why this person is a Christian fascist. And this is the person that Ezra found out about this Lewis person from that he's currently interviewing. Mm-hmm. And that should tell you something, because that means that Ezra 
is in the circle in which McVady will communicate things to him. So just consider that. <laughs> I don't have any other evidence that they... This is the first time I've heard McVady brought up on a show. But I'm going to get to some other things that I learned with doing research once I started hitting these things, that he might have closer ties to this Christian fascist movement in Canada than I initially thought he would have, given that he's a Jew. Although the things I just told you about Israel, there's reasons why they would have those relationships, right? Mm. So Lewis is also being endorsed by Campaign Life Coalition, which is a conservative Christian organization that opposes gay marriage. Oh. Anti- <laughs> I thought it was going to be anti-abortion. Well, no, I got a list. So they oppose gay marriage. They're anti-abortion. They're against sex education, against birth control, against divorce, against trans people, and generally anti-sex, except in marriage and for the purpose of creating children. <laughs> Caitlin's face is wonderful. It's like the handmaid's tale. You heard the things that she said in that clip to Ezra. But I knew it. Right when she was saying all these things, I was just like, you're a fascist. Like, that's all I could think of. Like, but right that's away. Charles McVady and Campaign Life Coalition. Those are the two things that have endorsed her so far, which is like, puts me in this position of she's frightening, but it's like, have where did she Nazis come from? Nazis speak? Yeah. Because Nazis talked about, you know, caring about the values of the family. But I must say, she's a black woman. So? It's worrying. It's worrying. So the only other thing of a note for Lewis in this interview is that she believes in conspiracies about the UN migration compact, which is something that we already know Ezra sort of believes, which is this idea that the UN, since they passed this compact, which was a non-binding thing, it's actually a secret conspiracy that they're controlling our sovereignty over our control over our borders, which is all just nonsense. But she raises that in the Ezra interview. The other thing is like, she mostly, so her, her, uh, what's it like slogan or motto or whatever that she's using for her campaign is courage, compassion, and common sense. Oh, wow. <laughs> and there was an interesting recent episode by another podcast called citations needed. And it's all about how uh, common sense is used in the vernacular of, of media, uh, usually by right-wing pundits to try to like promote ideas uh that are toxic as it's just the common sense. So what the average Joe thinks like, uh, the breadwinner shit, like he, as yeah. you said, it's a widespread thing, but it's just, that's common sense. You know, it's a folksy thing. She also mentions she has only done one other media appearance appearance. And Ezra like goes, Oh, and she's like, Oh, it's, it's not from any mainstream network and they don't mention it. So it made me curious. And I looked it up and it's this random Christian YouTuber and she was hard to read, too, of, like, where she stands yeah. on things. And she has a name that's too long and complicated that I won't be able to pronounce. Okay. Uh, but she's a lo- uh, a young blonde woman, looks kind of like a... And says some things that tell me that she's a trad wife of some kind, mm. which is fits with this movement. And again, it's weird because they kind of address some Christian issues, but don't go into many of the details. Like, she raises sort of like... She doesn't ask her directly, like, what your stance on abortion is. But she kind of asks Lewis, uh, the conservative passed a motion at the recent convention that says that abortions during this sort of like time period is not okay. Like, do you support things like that? And her answers would always be sort of like, oh, well, I think they have every right to pass whatever motions they want kind of thing. Like, rather than being like, abortion is bad or like whatever, right? 
And so it's like weird. I wonder like what kind of game she's playing. Like if she realizes that if she wants to become the national leader of the conservative party, she needs to walk this line where she's not as overt as she wants to be. Yeah. And that's kind of what she's doing, but she still wants to have those dog whistles to like tell these Christian conservatives that I'm on your side. Although it is weird walking into the field with an endorsement by like a uh, pro-life organization and one of the leading Christian fascists in Canada. <laughs> so, you know. The other thing is, so the Charles McVady reference reminded me of a book that I read almost a decade ago and it was collecting dust on my shelf. So I picked it up to have a peek uh, just to refresh my, my memory on some stuff about Charles McVady. The book is called The Armageddon Factor, The Rise of Christian Nationalism in Canada, and it was by a journalist named Marcy McDonald. And the book was published in 2010, but covered some of the human rights tribunal fights mm-hmm. by Ezra. But the focus of her coverage of this was the Christian right angle of that story. So during his own fight with the human rights tribunals, Ezra came to defend someone named Stephen Bossoing. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And this person, Stephen wrote an op-ed in a local Alberta newspaper calling for a war against homosexuals. And because of this, he was taken to the Human Rights Tribunal by, I think, a high school teacher who taught, like, uh, anti-aggression techniques and stuff like this. And especially dealing with uh, youths um, who were gay. And he knew... It was after this op-ed had been published, several of the or some gay kid that he knew that he was like mentoring was assaulted and he attributed it to the language that was in this op-ed. And that's what he took him to the human rights tribunal for. And Boisson lost and was ordered by the tribunal that he wasn't allowed to speak about homosexuality in public venues anymore. And a lot of people like, I agree with that too. Yeah. But a lot of people on the conservative side was like, this is an infringement on free speech and all those like bullshit arguments that you keep hearing. And of course, what I learned is that in this book, that Ezra came to his defense. Now, I have read the Shakedown book, which is the, the book that covers this. And I think Boisson is only mentioned in passing, but not Ezra's involvement in sort of like defending him and promoting him in the public. Yeah. But that's sort of like laid out in this book. But then... There's a small little part that's written in there that's like a passing mention, which talks about Boisson's lawyer, who is a someone named Gerald Chipper. And she also mentions that Ezra worked for Chipper as a junior lawyer. So the one tiny legal gig that Ezra had before he moved on to become the whatever monstrosity he is today <laughs> was with this guy who is a lawyer involved in the conservative and Christian right that defends people that are like anti-gay in newspapers and other things and promotes pro-life people and promotes like all this stuff. And that's something I didn't know before. And it shows that Ezra has closer ties to this side of the universe than I would have expected from, from just listening to his show. At least the Christian fascist element of it. Because... And I think what he's doing, like if I had to play sort of like mind games here, is that Ezra is trying to appeal to this kind of like youthful, more secular right wing kind of group, which is why he rarely touches on kind of like Mm -hmm. other than the anti-Islam stuff. But that also appeals to the kind of like secular type of people. 
And so I think that that's what he's trying to do. But his history is deeply tied to these Christian fascist movements in Canada, which is super fascinating to me. I don't know what it means yet. It's something that I could probably... Means, uh, he looks fascist? Yeah. So the other thing is, so Chipper, he has close ties to the conservative government. And he was appointed to an advisory panel by uh, Stephen Harper to appoint judges. And specifically, he said publicly that he was going to appoint Christian conservative judges. And uh, yeah, he's a Seventh-day Adventist, which is interesting, and has dedicated his entire career to fighting uh, for religious freedoms, which basically translates to fighting Muslims, gays, and women. Yeah. Essentially. (laughs) Religious freedom, so long as you don't, so long as you believe the same God as they believe. Yeah, of course. So that was that episode. It was this brief interview. I just like took me down weird paths where like I got reminded of things. But Charles McVeigh, I was like, I haven't heard that name in a very, very long time. Which is, well, I don't know if that's good or not. Like, is it better that he remains in the shadows or is it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. then he's still, he's sticking his tendrils out into the world. Because I didn't know that he was uh, p- part of the campaign to get rid of the, the sex ed curriculum. So I'm going to speed through the rest of the days. February 18th. Ezra is criticizing the blockades again, because, of course, and his main critique this time seems to be that the protesters are both weak and stupid, Mm. (laughs) which is like, we now devolved from this like weird, they're not even real indigenous people, to now it's just a pure ad hominem, so they're they're weak and stupid. (laughs) And like, part of the evidence of like, they're stupid is he had, I think, Kian go around and asking some of them, being like, what is the pipeline carrying that they're protesting in Wet'suwet'en? And they'd be like, I don't know, oil? And then it's like, gotcha! It's liquefied natural gas! <laughs> stupid! Stupid liberals protesting! Like, that's... They that's don't even their, know what they're protesting! God, I was... It's yeah. like, most of them are there because they care about indigenous sovereignty and other issues like that. Like, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what the pipeline is carrying. That's probably, like, an adjacent issue. He also complains again that they aren't real First Nations. And he proceeds to play clips of... A bunch of clips of indigenous people who support the pipeline. So this is his whole, our whole argument. It's like, look at all these other indigenous people who support the pipeline. Therefore, the people who don't support it aren't real indigenous people. He then criticizes indigenous people participating in the blockades by claiming they are criminals. So he finds one indigenous person speaking in favor of the blockades and then decides to dig in their past and finds out that they have a criminal record for dealing pot. Oh, no. I know. They're all just criminals. And then he uses this one example to paint them all as criminals. They're either criminals or they're not real. Very honest, honest debate tactics going on here. Then in the interview segment, Ezra interviews someone named Aaron Gunn. Pew, 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 pew. And Ezra frames him as a grassroots activist who organized the website and Facebook page for Canada Strong and Proud. Oh, great. And in this interview, they are criticizing, again, the rail blockades. And this time, they accuse the people in the blockades as being foreign-funded environmentalists. Sign up for our Patreon today. (laughs) (laughs) You, too, can become a foreign-funded environmentalist by giving us money. (laughs) They, of course, don't provide evidence for this. And there's nothing really to discuss about the rest of the interview. However, on the topic of funding... Gunn used to be a member of the Canadian Taxpayer Federation. We've talked about that already on our show. 
The Canadian Taxpayer Federation has been financed by the Atlas Network, which in turn has been financed by the Koch family. And I should stress, the Kochs are not Canadian. <laughs> so, Aaron Gunn is a foreign-funded activist. But also, contrary to Canada Strong and Proud being a grassroots organization, they registered as a third party in both the 2019 federal election and the Alberta provincial elections, where they engaged in pro-pipeline robocalls and ran smear ads on Facebook against Justin Trudeau. Since they were registered as a third party, unlike Ezra, who is currently being investigated for violating that law, we know, <laughs> we know that they were financed by the Manning Center, which is headed by Preston Manning, who was the leader of the Reform Party. Preston Manning's uh, organization, the Manning Center, has given them $300,000. Roughly $300,000. I think it was just shy of that. And here's where it gets tricky. There's a loophole here, which is that, and it's a loophole in the campaign funding laws, which is that because, so the, the Canada Strong and Proud, they registered as a third party, which means they have to disclose the finances they receive. So we know that the Manning Center gave $300,000 to them. However, we don't need to know, based on the law, who funded the Manning Center. So the Manning Center can serve as this like other unit. So other foreign entities can donate money to the Manning Center that they don't have to disclose to us. And then the Manning Center can send that money to the Facebook page to like create advertisements and stuff like this, which is a super shady loophole and not cool. And there's tons of democracy groups in Canada that are trying to fight this in mm. the courts. Yeah, makes sense. But it's not clear that they're going to succeed. But they're, there's not lawsuits happening right now. But I think they're trying to fight like legislative battles. Yeah. Like trying to get the, the government to pass uh, better legislation to like curb this spending. And I think they're not fighting legal battles because it seems like the judges and stuff that have been vocal on these issues are just like, that's what the law says. They don't have to disclose it. So we don't care basically. Right. And if they're not going to rule in favor of like Preston Manning's group here, exposing what funding they're getting, then there's nothing you can really do going through that route. So like yeah. the only option you have is going to legislative route. So a worrying thing, but it's this idea of like everyone else is a foreign funded environmentalist. Meanwhile, you're getting shady dark money from like this other group. And your previous organization that you were a part of received coke money. Aaron Gunn, you've been fired. Beep, 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 beep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> February 19th, we have a guest host. Who's it gonna be? Benzoid. Wrong. Who's it gonna be? Sheila. Nope. Kian's first time at the, <laughs> the wheel. <laughs> and it's awkward. He's not a good host. He's like, Menzoid has a certain kind of charm to him because he's just <laughs> such a buffoon. Kian is clearly awkward and he does, I mean, he's, he's always awkward, but like him as a hosting role, not good at all. So I'm going to play a clip and this clip is actually interesting because he even like stumbles around the narrative. Historically, we've always known whose side everybody is on. We've had the political class negotiating on behalf of the crown and across the table from them is tribal leadership. Canada has always met somewhere in the middle and that's how we've gotten things done. But this time, that won't be the case. The negotiations once were taking place in public and Canadians knew what was going on. Now, that's not the case and recordings are being kept secret between the two parties. 
the fate of Canada's economy is being debated by a prime minister who has already declared his loyalty to Indians before the crown. Trudeau was elected to govern on behalf of the crown, a duty he has brazenly abandoned. But that farce doesn't even come close to the illegitimacy of the bad actors that he is negotiating with. The people cutting off the arteries of our nation are not representing any band, tribe, or anything of the sort. The people extorting our country on behalf of supposedly the Wet'suwet'en are all gringos. <laughs> so first, before I get into the meat of the, the what he just said, because a lot of it I phased out as well, because he's so fucking boring. He's so boring to listen to. And this, like, so this, epi- this episode of their show was really short. I think it was only 17 minutes long. But he's got like this robotic staccato with like no emotional resonance. Yeah, so it's like, buh, 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 fact, buh, 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 fact, fact, buh, 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 fact. And it's just like, I don't, what you're saying is just so boring and stupid. So what, do you have any critiques? How was he? The first time hosting, how did you feel? I mean, we only got a minute of the, the 17 minutes. But it was very uninteresting. <laughs> but I mean, like, oh, so horrible. The fact that he's using Indians to describe them. Or wait, what did he say at the end? Gringos? Gringos. The gringos. <laughs> Which, like, confused That's me so at first confused. because I was like, isn't that the word that Latin, yeah, Latin people use to refer to people who aren't Latin? Yeah. Well, white people. Right. It's white people. Gringos is white people. Sure. But he's using it in this case to say that, yeah. well, I mean, he's saying that these protesters are white people. They're not indigenous. I understand. But, but why, like, like, why? Why the choice of words? Or are they cutting off the arteries? Of our nation, the arteries. CN Rail, this is the artery. Well, here's the thing: is I was reading reports saying that like a lot of the the routes, like our rails, aren't as frequently used as they used to be. So a lot of the routes have been like rerouted elsewhere, and so it's not actually the arteries. Yeah. Like, what? But the other thing is, if you notice, so like you caught the end there of him using Gringo and all that fun stuff. But at the beginning, he talks about Trudeau capitulating to the indigenous people. But then it's like, is Trudeau capitulating to real indigenous people or not? Because if they're just gringos, then who is he capitulating to? The people in the blockades are the gringos. Right. And that's who he no, but that's who he says Trudeau is capitulating to, because it's not just the Wet'suwet'en people, it's all the people at the blockades. Which is why in their world, Trudeau isn't doing anything about it in their minds. Because I mean that's what you've been even hearing in the legislature with conservatives, right? Like they keep saying Trudeau needs to step down. He's not doing enough. He's letting these radicals take over. Like, that's what Andrew yeah. Shear said not too long ago. So. so at this time, Wednesday of last week, Shear had threatened to bring a motion of non-confidence to Parliament. Yeah. So Kian then starts to speculate that this is actually Shear having a power grab because he wants to stay in power. And sure, I guess Kian, out of all of them, really hates Shear. I think, especially when, during the election coverage, you can hear like he hated Sheer and wanted Maxine to win. Ew. Yeah. And so the, he's like worried that this is Sheer. He doesn't believe that Sheer's going to step down. Like he, he even, I remembered in a, in a past episode, was complaining that the leadership. Uh, nomination process was going to be too far in the future that the government wasn't going to last that long as it's a minority government and somehow Sheer was going to sneak in. So this is, again, he has a lot of these weird conspiracy mm-hmm. theories of Sheer somehow going to be remaining in power. And 
he's always been wrong, and he's even wrong in this instance, because shortly after this happened, Sheer backed away from proposing the non-confidence motion, so it didn't even happen in the first place. But for one small moment, Kian got to speculate on something. <laughs> he then interviews, for the interview segment, Andrew Lawton about the blockades. And we don't have to get into it because it's all the same oh, stupid Andrew, fucking talking points. Andrew Lawton. I just heard so much about him. I don't <laughs> care anymore. He's, you know, I have to say. I don't care. I actually find him, compared to everyone else, the most reasonable sounding. Uh, and I only want to say that because, like, the way he talks is a very, like, hey, I'm, I'm interested in things. I'm going to, like, figure out some things. Where everyone else, like, you can hear the ideology. With Andrew, you can't. It is there. And, like, he'll you know say it. But, like... Kian reminds me of. Like, his tone of voice. What? Dwight Schrute in the office. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. Yeah, a little bit. Especially when you're like, da 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 fact. Yeah. Yeah. He's so boring, though. Like, he just, like, he does not have, like, say what you will about Ezra. Ezra at least has, like, he has a tenor. You know what I mean? There's, like, it's music. It's sometimes musical. It's ridiculous music, but, like, it's there. Where he, Kian is just a drumbeat. It's not, uh, there's nothing there to, like, pique your interest and be like, because there's a reason why Ezra has remained listened to over this time. Don't agree with anything that he says, but... He has an audience. But yeah, so Andrew Lawton, fake indigenous, all the same stupid fucking talking points. Then Kian signs off the show by not saying, he he even highlights, he's like, Ezra always signs off by saying, keep fighting for freedom. But I'm going to sign off by saying, Epstein didn't kill himself. And then he signs oh, off. <laughs> you did it, Kian. Good for you. He also wanted people to go to review his performance. So I recommend people going on and review his performance. It's very poor. So I never have to fucking hear his voice in the hot seat again. Give me some David Menzies, please. Jesus Christ. What is this? Are you guys kidding me? February 20th. (laughs) Again, a lot of similar talking points. Fake indigenous people. The pipeline is gas, not oil. You got gas pipes in your house. (laughs) So nothing new. Same fucking boring shit over Uh. and over again. His new piece, though, for this episode is that the blockades are just practice for a fight against the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Ezra then praises the right-wing assholes who took down the blockade in Alberta. He then mentions his tweet offering free legal representation to them. That's a tweet I had that went, uh, I guess, semi-viral for me. Got way more likes than I think I've ever gotten on a tweet before. But he basically offered anyone who wants to take down these blockades free legal advice. Like he was going to pay for a lawyer for them. Dismantle the barricades. And I'm just like, you can't dismantle these barricades without being violent to some. Like yeah, how... he's trying to promote violence. Yeah. In an indirect way. He also then plans to give these activists what he calls their activists. The United We Roll and other right-wing pieces of shit that want to come destroy these barricades. He offers them free beer. Which, in this case, the people who broke down the one in Alberta, he hunts them down and gives them free beer because he's Ezra and he's an asshole. He then interviews Manny Montenegrino over the idea that these blockades are a precursor to the Trans Mountain uh, pipeline and people protesting that. And Manny does take, uh, 
make us well manny agrees with him on all these things but then makes a side point on the hypocrisy of trudeau that i thought was interesting which is why did trudeau risk his leadership in the snc lavalin case because of jobs but is being more cautious here and i think the obvious answer is that because he got caught for it before he might not want to or like whatever but at the same time i I don't think true is really capitulating to indigenous groups at all and i think his caution is more a pr move rather than him like ceding ground to indigenous groups because all his rhetoric is has not been pro the indigenous community yeah other than like a few mentions of uh, reconciliation even though all the indigenous groups are now like reconciliation is dead you can go fuck yourself so but yeah so that's that's it that's Manny Montegreno. That's all he has to say that was of any interest. Because, again, he's boring as well. I don't care what he has to say. So February 21st, the last day. This was Friday. Ezra begins this episode by admitting that Stephen Guibault walked back his licensing comment. And I was actually surprised that Ezra would admit that on his show, considering the fact that I thought he was really going to use that clip to show that there's a liberal secret scheme to license everyone. Yeah. The, the reason why Ezra is bringing this up is because a bunch of like mainstream media organizations released this sort of statement that kind of like supported the government adding new regulations for these things. I don't think this is evidence that they're like pros on sort of stupid licensing scheme. No. But this causes as though I was worried we were going to I was going to be wrong. But this causes Ezra to go Gibo walked it back, but the media company wants it, and that means the liberals are still secretly working towards it, and therefore they're going to initiate a licensing scheme, just like Gibo said, and then he plays the clip again. <laughs> so my guess is he's still going to keep playing that clip. The, he's going to use it to say that the liberals are bringing a licensing scheme, and it's never going to end. We're all being censored. Every single website will be censored. I can't wait till we have to sign up for the Imperial Even News license. Even if accidentally license. a site from a different country, a Canadian, accesses it, what, they have to pay for a license? That's what I don't understand. Like, I, you could create a site that's in, like, I don't know, Sweden, for example. And license. Med- they have to get a license. Yeah. <laughs> what Canadians happen to access it. Yeah. When you, you meant for it to solely be for, like, the people of Sweden. Ezra is insane. Now, like, I'm, how would that logistically? <laughs> it just doesn't even make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But again, it's he got that nice soundbite, and he wants to use it, and he's going to use it. Yeah, you predicted even that, even though he admits <laughs> that Gibo walked it back, he's still going to be like, "I'm going to sneak it in somehow." And my guess is there's going to be future episodes where they don't even mention the walking back, and they're going to play the fucking mm-hmm. clip because fuck consistency. Ezra doesn't give a shit. Now, I meant to say this in the licensing episode, but I didn't get to it. And that is, I don't think the liberal government has the uh, Canadian population's best interests at heart. No. It might have came across that way because I was kind of like positively referencing this report. But that's because I think the report was more an independent academic study about the nuances of telecommunications stuff. But... The Liberal government doesn't have to adopt those suggestions. And my guess is the same report that Ezra's pointing out to in this episode is the industry trying to have its say on how the government should regulate these things. Yeah. Which means the Liberals 
I don't trust the liberals' relationship with corporations. And my guess is they're just as likely to listen to them as they are these independent people who created this academic report. And we need to be vigilant as citizens not to just accept whatever the liberals come out with as their plan, because it could have a lot of things that are at the interest of, say, Facebook and Netflix and not at the interest of all of us for whatever reason. Like maybe we have to pay more for Netflix or like other things like that. So uh, just something to keep in mind going forward to remain vigilant on this issue. And I think like Ezra's in that ballpark, but of course he doesn't make these connections because he's way more focused on conspiracy shit that isn't real than the real fact that corporations are going to try to game the system and create regulations that favor them over everyone else. But again, I I think the other reason why Ezra's not going to go down that route is because he's a corporatist. He likes the corporations. He just doesn't like government regulations. He then interviews Pollock, Joel Pollock, and we get more weird coverage of the Democratic primary. Okay. Now, remember, this is the 21st, so the Nevada caucuses has, in this universe, has not occurred yet, but they're going to talk about the debate that just happened uh, a few days before and all that fun stuff, and Pollock has a weird choice for who he thinks can be Trump. I think Bloomberg is pitching himself as a safe alternative to Trump. And it helps him that Sanders is doing so well, because I think Democrats who don't like Sanders will eventually have to pick a candidate. And it's not that he's the best candidate. He just has the most independent staying power. I think purely on the merits, Amy Klobuchar is probably the best non-Sanders candidate. The problem is she has very little money and she's peaking too late. She did very well in New Hampshire, but she came to Nevada a few days later and had to basically start from scratch. She had to open two new offices. She didn't have offices there before, I don't think. And she hired 50 staff. That's all well and good, but it's a bit late in the game. Elizabeth Warren had five offices there back in September. And by the way, you might see Elizabeth Warren do quite well in Nevada, not just because of that organization, but because, as we mentioned earlier, she came out fighting in the early part of the debate. And I think that's what Democrats want to see. I think Elizabeth Warren came in fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Joe Pollack is all up in that club-mentum the club, Amy Clobmentum. She's going to make it. She's going to win the whole thing. What? <laughs> Amy Klobuchar. Like, why does anyone think that she has a chance at all to win this it. thing? I didn't even, I forgot she existed. The only people I pay attention to is Sanders, Buttigieg, Biden, Warren. Warren. That's about it. Yeah. Who else is there? There's Tom Steyer. Who's that? Michael Bloomberg. Tom mm. Steyer is the other billionaire but that seems to really like Bernie for some reason. Oh, yes. The one that I always go, he like copies all his lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, in uh, the debates, he's always like, I agree. Yes, that's a good point. And then always just copies. Miriam Williamson just endorsed Bernie Sanders. She's so great. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's feeling she, the burn. She's, she's feeling good. the burn. She is fantastic. But yes, she wants love to win, okay? So Amy Klobuchar finished fifth in Nevada mm-hmm. with a very low turnout in Nevada. As I guess everyone knows already, Bernie won by a landslide, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right? He got, I think, 46%, and the Biden was at 20% in second place. So that's a 26% difference. Like that, that is, he, he outdid most of his polling and has a lot of people freaking freaking the fuck out right now. <laughs> and I think like this is the first time too where you actually heard sort of like Joel Pollock say anything negative about Sanders. Because usually they've been very sympathetic to him because they feel like 
Hillary Clinton, the evil Hillary Clinton did all these wrong things to him. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doubting that there are some shit that she did that I disagree with the Bernie Sanders. But like, because they're the conservatives, they just fucking hate Hillary Clinton. With of course. Magical passion, right? But I mean, I think it's because now he's, he's a... He's now a threat. He is a threat. And I've even noticed in news reports, like, they're trying to dig shit up on him really hard. Like, it's it's sad. And it's not working. Because well, mo- the funny thing is, like, a lot of the shit they're digging up is stuff that we already knew about. Like, today it was and all about... And it's not even bad uh, stuff. Like, it's like they, they try to make a spin on it like it's bad. I'm well, like, today okay. was him being, like, giving praise. Like, a clip from the past of him giving praise to some of the stuff that was done in Cuba under Fidel Castro. And it wasn't right. even him praising Fidel Castro. And then... It. Then they say like, "Oh, this must mean that you like pr- love Castro because he, when uh, he did all these things, killing people or whatever." And then it's like you can find clips of President Obama saying the same shit Bernie is saying. Yeah, well, like he's they, not even saying there anything. There was one that where radical. it was like, "Oh, look, um, here's Bernie, thirty something years ago, and he's talking about the success of the Soviet Union, yeah. and he's talking about like the technology in the Soviet Union and like some of the scientific successes they've had." Well, they made it to space first. Yeah, no, I know, and that's what was actually being said in the clip, but then they twisted it into like, "Look at this." foolish communist who like loves the massacres of innocent people and th- and then they started talking about how he's like jewish and how he shouldn't like like the soviet union because he's jewish i'm like what is going on like i'm like and all like M- msnbc msnbc is like the worst with they- they've been like comparing him to like nazis yeah and brown shirts and it's like he has family that died in the fucking Holocaust. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's to compare him to, to or, Nazis is just insane. Yeah, that is crazy. That's pretty bad. I didn't know that. But there is um, this like rhetoric that he's a millionaire. He's got oh, oh he's yeah. got three he's got homes. a cabin. Yeah, he's got he's got three homes. He's a millionaire. But then I also hear the opposite, where it's like he only just started making money like 10 years ago being a senator he's never worked a real day in his life he needs to pull himself up by the bootstraps and actually be a hard-working american so like, what is it is he this like millionaire <laughs> that he like he's a millionaire hypocrite or is he like this poor person who who needs to pull himself up like i'm so confused by this that one, the one asshole johnson or something like this he's a pundit on msnbc who uh Got mad at Nina Turner, who's one of the campaign surrogates for yeah, Bernie, yeah. Uh, for calling Mike Bloomberg an oligarch. And he tried to make an argument that Mike Bloomberg is in the 1%, just like Bernie is in the 1%. And it's like Bloomberg is a multi-billionaire, which is a lot different than someone who earned a million only recently by selling his own book. Yeah, You know, like that's a completely yeah, yeah, different dynamic. Yeah, well, that guy also got in a lot of trouble because he called, he said that uh, Bernie supporters don't understand intersectionality and he hides behind the fact that he has this misfit island of uh, black girls referring to Nina Turner and, uh, yeah, uh, Brienne. Yeah, not cool, but uh, they're they're trying to trying to attack. Oh, and then and that's the thing too is like they're exposing this whole like Bernie Bro thing as a myth by being just as fucking toxic as they keep complaining the Bernie Bros are, which is just silly. I mean, like no doubt there's shitty people everywhere. Yeah, I've been like called all kinds of things from Warren supporters, even though I'm a Warren fan myself. So 
what are you going to do? But yeah, so that's it. That's their, their deep insight. And I have to point out that we did hear the ding. So there was a, a lot of dings in that, uh, the Joel Pollock segment. My God. And like, for whatever Joel reason, Pollock se- session. the last time there was none. That was, that was the first time there was none, even though he was in his house, because there's been times where there was none, but it was at the airport or like some other shit. But, and like, for whatever reason, there was like a, a more of a reverby effect. And so some of them just came in so loud when I was listening on my headphones and it hurt like really much. So, but that's it. So then we'll go to the, the mailbag segment because he decided to say something that I thought was silly. And that is, we're talking about this idea about the blockades and whether or not there's going to be violence there or non-violence or whatever. And he gets a caller that sort of says that he's willing to go to jail for this. And Ezra has to chime in. Sean writes, I'm not sure if anyone is going to get this email, but I want you to know I live in a small town, Ontario, northern Ontario, and I'm more than willing to lend my services to clean up any blockade. I'm willing to go to jail. Let me know. Well, Sean, I don't want you to go to jail. And so my number one piece of advice just as a friend is don't put hands on a protester. Just don't don't get physical with the people. I believe that it is, in my own amateur opinion, that it's lawful to take junk off a railroad track and move it away. In fact, I think it's not only legal, I think you're doing a good a good thing because you're removing a danger. I still think that he's... You could see him trying to navigate that carefully, but you still have to think, how do you get to the point where you can remove that stuff off the rail? Like, there's going to be no way you can do it without somehow interacting with these people or like getting into a conflict of some kind. I think the, the people in Alberta, they got away with it because the RCMP basically let them do it. Yeah. And that is a slight against the RCMP where it's like the RCMP shouldn't allow other citizens to come take away this shit. Like it's your fucking, if you're going to do this shit, you clean it up. Like don't yeah. somehow support fascists by allowing them to clean up shit like this. Right. And in this case, any other case, if they just show up and be like, hey, I'm taking down your barricade. And they'll be like, no, fuck you. Then what are you going to do? Yeah. So Ezra, Ezra is walking a fine line here. And it's clear that, like, if people listen to him, they're going to get hurt. And that's just the way it is. And the thing is, too, I didn't play any more of this clips. But this whole week when they're talking about the blockades and stuff like this, you heard more of the same stupid rhetoric of, oh, I understand if people get angry, they might do something. Which is the same justification to violence that we've heard in previous Turkey episodes. farmers. He wants yeah. them to shoot protesters. Or run them over with cars. So yeah. Not good. And also, like, offering the legal services to those who step in and do something that's also super dangerous. To be honest, I kind of think that's hate speech in a sense. That's, like, inciting violence. It's, it's bordering on inciting violence in, is... in ways. And, like, yeah, I don't know. The case against it I might be difficult. I feel like could have a lawsuit against him. My tweet went viral with it, so who knows? Maybe somebody picked up on it, but yeah. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. I don't know, but uh, if anyone wants to fight it, go for it. You have my support. <laughs> and that's it. So good news. Yeah, not so much uh, good news, but more about like local activism. So you and I today, we went to uh, a little rally by London's RCMP office in support of the Wet'suwet'en 
I think it falls Tien- in line. Oh, I can never pronounce this one right. Tianandaga? Yeah. 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 It, I think it was nice. Not, not too many people showed up because it was very impromptu. Like, I think, like, two hours before the rally actually happened, yeah. they sent out messaging. But it was really nice for the people who did come. But there is going to be another rally for London listeners. Another rally on Friday at Victoria Park at was two, two to six. Two to six. Wow, that's a long. long well, I thing. think they want to hit people who are coming out from work as well. So it's oh, okay. It's a yeah. yeah. So it's it's going to be a long one. But if you can make it, come out even just for like an hour or so, right? Like yep. even twenty minutes, just you know, show your face, right? Show show some support. It's always good. And for context with it, the the reason why this happened was there was a blockade in Ontario in which the OPP violently removed the people from it. Yeah. And the the video of it is quite shocking, mostly because they weren't actually blockading the rail. They were on their land, but close by to the rail and were doing some kind of a blockade. But again, it was on their territory. And for the OPP to come in masses like that to just arrest them on their territory is colonial fucking bullshit. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't cool. And I think that, so there was a lot of uh, impromptu rallies today, especially there was a huge one in Ottawa. I think it was close to over 300 people showed up and they like blocked a lot of uh, traffic outside both the parliament building, but also Justin Trudeau's office and uh, held rallies there. And so ours was uh, a little smaller, but uh, again, (laughs) an hour or so notice and, uh, I was busy the whole time. My daughter kept running around everywhere. <laughs> so, so I got to work out. I'm pretty tired recording this. But uh, yeah, it was it was good to see that there's a, at least a, a group of people who were paying attention and could show up to show solidarity at this time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, see you on Friday, I guess is what it is. And so I guess this means I have to edit it before Friday so we can get it in there. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> This is me just chiming in to say that the Friday already passed. I did not edit this in time. However, I did input a little uh, reminder last episode that we released to come to this rally on Friday. So the rally already happened, and we will let you know what happened on our next episode. Till then. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperialnews. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperialnews with a Z. We have an Instagram account, News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find us work at stratum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening and support Indigenous Land Defenders. You know, it's an audio medium, Caitlin. They can't see your fist. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields.